Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the pre-roll for Electric Liberty Land, episode number 171. I want to tell you, we've arrived. Yes, the Lions of Liberty have officially bought into Tiger King Mania. We are now the Tigers of Liberty, and you can find one of the funniest shirts you're ever going to own. Add it to your Liberty collection. Amaze your friends and loved ones by signing up. Anybody at $15 or more that joins our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty will get this t-shirt. Wherein I am Joe Exotic, Mark Claire is that bitch Carol, and John Odermatt is none other than Doc Antle. You gotta see it to believe it. Go to the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL171 or go to lionsofliberty.store and grab yours today. And uh, as a reminder, 10% through the end of April from all of the money we're coming in, uh, getting in through Patreon is going to Donor C and Greg Glyer and the work he's doing to assist people with the COVID-19 pandemic in a libertarian way. So help us, help them, help you. Everybody wins. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 171. Yes, hope everybody's enjoying their time out there, maintaining their sanity, uh, looking at Pornhub, seeing some corn titties, all of those good things, and uh, and some corn cock. I'm not, uh, not going to pretend that some people out there, some of my beautiful lady listeners, and possibly some of the men as well, don't like to see a little, uh, little quarantine wang. Hey, my wife counter among you. Actually, probably not. <laughs> probably. Probably not with the baby. She's probably still not interested. Anyway, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, that's the only reference you're going to hear today to COVID. That's it. This episode, I said, I can't take no more of this goddamn Corona talk. So the rest of this episode is going to be completely focused on other topics. And as such, I have plumbed the depths of the internet because right now it is difficult to find other things to talk about, as I'm sure you know, but I managed to do it with the help of Howie Snowden, our wonderful Lion of Liberty here who pulls all of our news links. And uh, just like those, you know, I mentioned you can get the t-shirt, the new Tiger Kings of Liberty t-shirt by joining at a $15 and up level and get that for free. Uh, you also get access to all the news links that we send out. So Howie pulls just from everywhere, news links to give you a absolute rundown of all of the day's news. And he sends something like, it's got to be 80 links uh, through and, and, you know, we kind of parcel those out by topic. Anyway, incredibly useful stuff. And uh, I've been able to garner through those links, some stories that I want to hit on. So it may be a little bit shorter because there's still not that much news to talk about in this episode, but at least we can take a little break and focus on some other things that are still very important to us libertarians uh, in addition to what's going on with the uh, the draconian authoritarianism that is overtaking the globe. So first things first, we have gone, I, I think there's something like, you know, the U.S. is active in, in like a hundred different countries around the globe. Uh, like it's really a, an absolutely ridiculous level of militarism wherein we don't have to have any real interests in an area. Uh, we don't have to have any real protective 
requirements to be in an area, you know, like they, these places that we're sending troops to these specialized services or that we're doing airstrikes in, they pose absolutely no threat to America in any possible way. Yet we're still there, whether this is at the request of allies, whether this is just under the concept of a global force for good. You've heard those asinine commercials and the slogan that was rolled out there by the U.S. Army. Whatever it might be, the U.S. is still sending troops worldwide. We've not stopped any sort of militarism due to the unnamed thing that I'm not going to mention anymore. And one of the hotbeds for this happens to be Somalia. Yes, that very same Somalia that people will come up to you and say, well, if you're a libertarian, then what's up with Somalia? What's your opinion on Somalia if you think it's so great? Never mind the fact that literacy rates went up in Somalia, that people were eating better, that their uh, economic status went up in Somalia. The only thing that went down, by the way, during the quote-unquote libertarian period is that access to potable water went down something like 2%. And that was mainly because the government had a monopoly on the water supply. So when the government crashed, then it became more difficult to get water. Not because the free market failed, not because governments run it better, but simply because when a government falls, like in Venezuela, for example, they have completely taken military control during this nationalized period of all of the water systems, and they had been rationing it, and thus people had less access to that water anyway. The same thing happens if your government absolutely collapses on itself. How can you expect people to suddenly know how to work a pump system? It takes some time for people to get in there to find other ways to work for the free market to operate and people to put systems in place to allow people to access that water, make sure it's clean, et cetera. Anyway, Somalia wasn't that bad until the United States decided that we're going to go over there and start just bombing the living shit out of these, pe these people. Uh, and never mind if they are terrorists or not, never mind how they may actually live their lives, be it as members of a terrorist cell or simply as people that are farmers or that are gathered around a table enjoying a nice dinner. And that is exactly what happened when a family of five had sat down on February 2nd around 8 p.m. This is a story according to Amnesty International. And they sat down for dinner in Somalia's middle Juba region when an airdropped weapon, likely a U.S. GBU-69 small glide munition, struck their home. Uh, the 18-year-old woman that lived there was struck in the head and killed instantly. Her two younger sisters were injured, aged 12 and 7, and their grandmother, who was aged 70. The father had lived. Now, these people clearly were not terrorists. I mean, I don't know in what way you could categorize a 12-year-old as a terrorist. I mean, maybe ISIS child soldiers could be. And even then, I wouldn't categorize those people as terrorists as much as I would categorize them as brainwashed victims of war and aggression based upon ISIS's actions. But it doesn't end there, right? Because they killed, these, they killed this woman. Then they, uh, they said, well, you know, we're not going to take too much credit for that because, you know, we think they're terrorists. And it's not just this family either. On February 24th, 2020, a Hellfire missile from another U.S. airstrike hit a Mas Masalanja farm near the village of Kumbariri. Kumbariri? Well, I'm back to my old ways, guys, not be able to pronounce these things. Kumbariri. 10 kilometers north of Jalib, killing 53-year-old Mohammed Salud Mohammed. He was a banana farmer and had left behind a wife and eight children. After boat strikes, AFRICOM issued a press release claiming it had killed Al-Shabaab terrorists without offering any evidence of the victim's links to this group. Now, 
This is something that has been going on for quite some time. And as I've discussed in this show before, the only thing this does is make us less safe. The only thing this does is destroy the lives of innocent people and create terrorists. I mean, there's no possible way, even if you did kill the actual terrorists that you're trying to target, what impact could they possibly have on Americans? The answer to that's absolutely zero. What emphasis or what influence could they have in the region that would impact our interests? The answer again, absolutely nothing, zero. These people are regionally focused, even the terrorists, they're regionally focused. And you could be opposed to terrorism and it's all forms. You could be opposed to innocent people being used and murdered for political reasons as terrorists too. I would agree with you. But in what world is it our prerogative and our responsibility to pay taxes to then send airstrike drones over there to blow the fuck out of people trying to have a nice dinner? To murder children. Well, I guess the woman that died was 18, but still, the father that died, a banana farmer with eight children. What do you think is going to happen to those children? Is another man going to come in and marry this wife who I doubt works in this environment in Somalia? I'm sure with eight children, she's a stay-at-home mother. So is somebody else going to come in and, and marry this woman and take care of her eight children? Not bloody likely. I think more often than not, those children are probably going to end up in a starvation type of system. Uh, I don't know at the moment what kind of welfare system Somalia has. I have to think they're not probably very good. I hope that there's some sort of charity operation there that could take over. Maybe there's a religious operation or a mission that could take these children in. But at the end of the day, they might just get sold into slavery. Or they might die of starvation, or they might die from, from uh, some sort of other neglect where the mother's not able to provide enough food or enough medicine or enough anything, even housing for these children, because the United States has murdered her husband. So what's the end result of this? Inevitably, these people are going to look and say, well, if I wasn't a member of Al-Shabaab before, I'm certainly going to join up now, after the United States has come in and killed my family. I mean, the, the sheer incomprehensive logic of we're going to go in and we're going to murder these people. But, you know, if we don't go in and murder these people by accident and then claim they're terrorists, well, then the terrorists could, could murder these people. So either way, these poor people are going to be murdered by virtue of terrorists or the United States, right? Is that the, is that the logic that we're operating under? Because if we had just simply left them the fuck alone, more than likely the terrorists would leave them alone or they'd be able to fight it out in their own personal ways or they'd find out, okay, you don't go to these certain crowded areas or you let the terrorists win, honestly, is also something that we're seeing play out in Afghanistan right now. The United States is still over in Afghanistan almost 20 years now because we were supposed to leave overthrowing the Taliban, stopping terrorism, right? And we're supposed to be getting these people on our side, winning the hearts and minds and installing all of these systems of democracy. What actually happened? Oh yeah, well, the Taliban's still there and the local population would rather just live peacefully under an oppressive Taliban regime that are quote unquote terrorists rather than fight against the Taliban and risk life and limb and family for a war that wasn't theirs. And I'm, Pretty goddamn sure that's what's happening in Somalia as well. But even more than Afghanistan, where we were conned by false pretenses and, and lies into believing that Afghanistan and the Taliban were responsible for 9-11, I can't think of a single thing that Somalia has done to us. Not a single one of my friends. And as a large Somali population in Minnesota, 
So you could say that really us going over and bombing the shit out of Somalians and terrorist groups over there, well, that would make us less safe at home. Because if you've got a large Somalian population in Minnesota and some of these other places around, well, maybe they have relatives that we just got killed. Like in Somalia, maybe the the relatives that just got blown up, well, maybe now they join Al-Shabaab and now they're here in America where they can actually kill people and they can impact what goes on here and they can set off a bomb in a mall. None of that would be happening. Those dominoes wouldn't fall if we weren't over there in the first place. And it's shameful that the United States, after saying that, you know, and well, granted, Trump rolled this back. Again, shame on fucking Trump because Obama had pledged to open it up and be more honest about the drone casualties. Now, that was probably a lot of bullshit. But then Trump says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But to see blatant lies, to see how the war on terror, and I've talked about this before too, many times, the war on terror is a blank check to describe anybody as a terrorist. You're seeing it in use for Iran right now where we're describing the entire Revolutionary Guard as terrorists. And now, whoa, they're terrorists. The war on terror gives us an infinite amount of money to throw out and an infinite amount of troops, an infinite amount of, of leverage to go around Congress and to go in there, although... Congress, to their credit, did rein in, just in Iran, Trump's war powers and his ability to go after these people. But still, up until this point, a blank check to do whatever you wanted to, because in the war on terror, you don't have to go to Congress. In the war on terror, you're responding. It's a state of constant emergency. So the president has a unilateral power to be able to murder whoever he wants, to assassinate fucking generals, because they're terrorists. I don't think that that doesn't mean that it can't be turned on you here in America. Obama set that precedent with these enemy combatants, home or abroad, where your habeas corpus is uh, completely suspended. You're able to be black bagged in the night, detention without representation, inability to see a lawyer, inability to talk to your family. I mean, we see what's happening now, the excuse that's being made for them to impose, and again, I'm not going to say the name of it, but we're seeing draconian measures imposed on us, absolutely authoritarian lockdowns that are unconstitutional. The war on terror was another grand excuse created by the government to enable them to seize power and to never cede it. Because just like anything, if you have an open-ending, never-ending threat, you never have to come to grips with this liberties you've taken away. You can always operate under the pretense of it's still not safe. So you can't go out there. Better to stay here. You know, it's like living with a goddamn abuser. Better to stay here and take a beating once in a while from me than go out there where God knows what could happen to you. Take the beatings you know rather than the beatings that are outside, right? God knows how many beatings are waiting for you <laughs> down at the corner. Just obscene. Then I mean, just the fact that these fuckers just lie about this so blatantly. And thank you, Amnesty International, for uncovering these lies. We need more of this. God, it's just it, it makes you ashamed to be an American. And, you know, with the Olympics, you know, the Olympics have been delayed, but the Olympics come around, right? And I do take pride in what's going on, and I root for the United States, even though it's so stupid, you know. But I still get behind that. And I still do take pride in being an American for what it should mean, for what the liberties that we were, were supposedly guaranteed or that our natural-born liberties were more respected here than anywhere else. But now... The liberties that we had here that made this country so great, the capitalism that made this country so great based upon the freedom of association, the freedom of dealings, the voluntary interactions between people to trade goods and services, and non-interventionalism abroad, 
all those things that made us so great are now all the things that have enabled us to be this absolutely despicable, immoral world power. And I don't know if I want to be proud of my existence as an American anymore. I don't know if I, if, if I can even, looking around what's happening in the world, say that I'm an American with any sort of pride. Because bit by bit, they've chipped away every single thing that I would stand behind. <sighs> awful. Absolutely awful. Now, I'll move on to another topic here. That's, that's pretty much all we have to say about Somalia for the time being. Um, but like I said, this is, this is not limited to Somalia. This is an ongoing... Uh, let me look up exactly how many places the U.S. is operating in right now. And let's see, Smithsonian Magazine. Yeah, and who knows exactly how accurate this is, but I would say, if anything, it's vastly more than this. But this is from 2019. They say 80 affected countries are engaged. There are 40 military bases, 65 counterterrorism operations and training, 26 military exercises, 14 U.S. Uh, 14 countries with U.S. troops in combat, and seven air and drone strikes. I would guess that those numbers are probably about half correct. Because for every exercise we know about, for every counterterrorism training operation we're aware of, for every troops in combat notification, those aren't counting the dark operations. Those aren't counting the Delta Forces, the SEAL operations, the Rangers deployments. Those aren't counting the Green Berets. None of these things are being counted. In addition, they're not counting the drone strikes. There's no way that every drone strike that's going on is being calculated and tallied because as we've seen, if they're willing to lie about the number of people being killed and, and label everybody as terrorists, why would they be forthcoming if they're trying to do covert operations in places? It's absurd to consider. But you know, I bet who has an accurate count on where we're active is all of the families of the people that were getting murdered by us. I'm pretty sure they're keeping tabs. And, you know, we're doing the census right now, which, by the way, I don't plan on fucking filling out. And also, by the way, seems to me that in the current state of affairs, maybe they should be like, hey, Wes, why don't we wait a little bit to do the census? I think the numbers might be a little bit wrong by the time this whole thing plays out, don't you? Maybe wait a little bit. Wait a maybe wait a two, three months, fill out that census, make a little bit more sense. Just like that, why don't we send a census to all the countries nationwide? Uh, you know, the for top question, has your family member been murdered by America? Let's just see what comes back. You know, you calculate. And, and the thing is, too, we can't just calculate military operations. You can't just say, well, the drone bombings killed this guy because you have to take in sanctions. The sanctions in Iran right now. Not even talking about the other side that I'm not talking about today and how the impact of how many people that's killing. But the sanctions in Iran, they're murdering people. They're causing people their lives. They're causing children to die. What's going on in fucking Yemen right now? Our ability to aid the Saudis in refilling to stop the blockade, to allow all these people to die of malnourishment. Our assistance to the Israelis. And what's going on in Gaza right now with the apartheid state? Enabling them through military support, through monetary support to keep killing and, and, and secluding in this prison state, the Pakistan, I'm sorry, the Palestinians, not the Pakistanis. They have nukes. <laughs> not that Israel doesn't have nukes, quote unquote. We don't have quote unquote nukes. So you can see that the, and, and the militarism does take a role because obviously putting sanctions in place would have no power without the military behind it. 
So it's all associated. All these deaths are still tied into the military power, prowess, and uh, and nonstop instigation that the United States has to put its military anywhere and everywhere at once to control people, to kill people. And uh, yeah, I can't help but think that there's going to be a comeuppance. Ah, question is, how do we stop it? Without getting a libertarian in office <laughs> and a hell of a lot more libertarians in the House and the Senate. Okay, um, moving on. Why don't we jump into, let me see, why don't we jump into talking a little bit about uh, what's happening with Alyssa Milano and Joe Biden. Uh, and by the way, I bit my fucking lip and now I keep biting it and that sucks. And I got to jump on. I'm doing a, by the time this airs, it would have been last night, but I did. I'm going to do slash did a uh, happy hour. Me, John Odermatt, I believe Mark's going to come on as well, but we're going on with uh, Matt Erickson and Jason Stapleton, of course, of Wealth, Power, and Influence. Uh, Hopping on, I think Mark Mark Whitney, uh, LP candidate and entrepreneur, is going to join us as well as C. Michael Pickens from North Spokane CBD. So it's going to be a hell of a show, and uh, hopefully you guys caught that in in retrospect. I think we're going to try to record it, capture it, and we'll publish it either as a bonus episode or something for the pride. We'll have to see. Uh, but Alyssa Milano, right? Damn, she's hot. Still hot, Alyssa Milano, but so stupid. So very, very stupid. So very ill-informed with just, I mean, she's become a darling of the left because the left loves anybody that spews just the most idiotic by the book leftist hot takes. They don't have to be based in any sort of fact or reality. They don't have to be based in any sort of, of economic reality. They just have to tow the party line and keep up with whatever the local bullshit and lore of the day is, be it uh, not to say believe all women is total bullshit. But of course I would object to that quite strongly based upon the ability to face your accuser and have a a true fair uh, trial, whether that be in public or by a jury, you should still have a fair shake at defending yourself and let the truth come out. Now, Alyssa Milano has been very, prominently involved in the Me Too movement, coming out, supporting Rose McGowan, going after Harvey Weinstein, just being, I mean, really, she made her bones because she was a forgotten entity. You know, once she left Charmed or whatever the hell the last thing she was on, she was just, became hot former actress on Instagram. And by virtue of the Me Too movement, was able to kind of leap back into the public eye quite prominently. Now, the sickening and sad thing to see is that the hypocrisy that was on display during the entire Me Too movement and by that, I'll, I'll, you know, refer to uh, Owen Benjamin. You know, I haven't heard from Owen Benjamin in a while, actually. Forgotten man. But Owen Benjamin had made this point, and he's exactly right. During the Me Too movement, you have these very famous actresses that are coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, I, I yes, this is horrible, but I support this, and uh, it's awful what happened to these people that Harvey Weinstein did, but, you know, it's just, it, it's truly terrible. However, none of them actually stepped forward to, to report it. None of the very, very famous ones save Rose McGowan. So what happened was that a lot of the famous ones either A, went along with it willingly and were, and you know, they, they had made some sort of deal with the devil to get fame, to get movie placements, to get whatever it was to made them rich and famous, right? Clearly they, they, that worked out. It must've been uh, a satisfactory arrangement for them because they didn't go to the police about it and they are rich and famous. So they were complicit. The problem is less with those women And more with the fact that, or at least the outcomes of those women, and more with the fact that all of these other women who were equally cajoled into sexual favors or 
I don't know, there are alleged rape accusations. The lesser known women, the ones that didn't get the big roles that for whatever reason, well, they just kind of went in there, got raped or assaulted, and no one was the wiser. Because all of these more powerful women that had become famous were protecting them by not speaking out or by going to the gallows and taking the pictures. Hillary Clinton and Harvey Weinstein pictured together. Reese Witherspoon right next to him. And you can trace back and see how many of these women were in Harvey Weinstein's films. I mean, clearly, clearly there was a quid pro quo here. And Alyssa Milano now is doing a similar thing with Joe Biden because she came out so vociferously against Harvey Weinstein. How he's the worst, and he's the he's awful, and he'll just hey, tar and feather him. Believe all women. I just bit my fucking lip again. God damn it. My wolverine fang in my left. Believe all women, right? And yet, now you have a very credible accuser in Tara Reid, who I talked about in the last episode, a former staffer who says in 1993, Joe Biden pushed her up against a wall and shoved his fingers up her snooch without any sort of uh, invitation not even a wink, just decided, oh, well, somebody told me uh, that you liked me. So here you go, kid. Here's some fingers up your vag. Look, gross old Joe Biden fingers. Can you imagine? Ugh, disgusting. So very credible accusations from a woman that's not insane, that's not coming out of left field, a former staffer of Joe Biden's. The media has ignored it for the most part. And Alyssa Milano is on Twitter basically defending Joe Biden and saying that, well, you know, we shouldn't really go too far into this, right? Now, what's delightful for me in this is that Rose McGowan, who Alyssa Milano had, you know, sisters, soul sisters, because they were on the show together back in the, the charm days. These soul sisters have now split pretty severely. And that came to light because uh, Milano went on Andy Cohen, who I know was a Bravo the guy that created all those housewife shows because my watches, my, my watches, my wife watches all that shit. Um, but I guess he has a radio show. However, there you go. Milano goes on. She's talking about how we, you know, it's important that we believe women, but then Cohen, you know, interrupts to say, Oh yeah, yeah. I agree with what you're saying. And Milano goes on to say, I've been very vocal about Biden and my support for him. I don't feel comfortable throwing away a decent man that I've known for 15 years in this time of complete chaos without there being a thorough investigation. Now, isn't that interesting that Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, well, presumptive nominee, that is unless uh, Cuomo replaces him or becomes the VP and Biden keels over Corona. Now, isn't it funny that now all of a sudden it goes from believe all women and that anybody that is accused is instantly and, and irrevocably tarnished to, oh, well, let's slow it down, huh? Let's pump the brakes. Let's make sure that everything's right here. Let's make sure to do an investigation before we just throw this guy out and tarnish his name. Now, if you recall, Chris Hardwick didn't get that benefit of the doubt. Chris Hardwick almost got his career ruined because an ex-girlfriend had said that he was mean to her and controlling. We don't know if it's true or not. He didn't beat her. He didn't sexually assault her. He just was mean and controlling according to her. Now, because she, she could have left at any time but chose to stay with him probably because he was Chris Harbin. And he also had an ex-girlfriend of his who was on uh, the show Stan versus Evil, the chick who plays Evie on that show. She came out and says, none of that ever happened to me. I don't know what's wrong with this woman. None of that ever happened to me. You also had, uh, God, who's that uh, utterly unfunny Indian comedian? Uh, God, I hate him. 
Oh, my God. I'm blanking on his name. The guy from Parks and Rec. Anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. You know who I mean. Uh, not Kamil Najati, but the other guy that's a little. <laughs> God, he fucking sucks. Anyway, he also was had this idiotic article in a woman's magazine that doesn't exist anymore. Basically, just a chick had a bad date. A chick liked going out with this celebrity. He invited her up to his apartment. They made out. He, they started having sex. She asked him to stop. At no point did she ever tell him to stop and slow down, by the way, until this. She asked him to stop. He did. They then watched Netflix, and she went home, and then she went to the media and wrote this whole big fucking story about it and made him out to be some sort of monster in the eyes of feminists when she could have also left at any time. But we're seeing people have their lives ruined, and Melissa, Alyssa Milano piled on that more than happily. And now with Joe Biden, though, let's slow it down. Now, the great thing is, though, that Rose McGowan called the bitch out for it. Here's what she had to say on Twitter. This is responding to Alyssa Milano because Alyssa Milano tweeted, I explained my silence on the allegations against Joe Biden in this clip. I'm still endorsing Joe Biden. Hashtag me too. Hashtag time's up. So Rose McGowan responds, you are a fraud. This is about holding the media accountable. You go after Trump and Kavanaugh saying, believe victims, comma, you are a lie. You have always been a lie. The corrupt DNC is on the smear job of Tara Reid and so are you. Shame. Good job. Good job. If there's one thing that I know about, not just the left, really, really both sides of the political spectrum, the only one that I'd say is not hypocritical or libertarians, unless you're some sort of socialist libertarian, then I don't even know what's wrong with you. You have a mental disorder that you haven't been able to reconcile in your own brain. But it shows the hypocrisy of these parties, how they don't give a shit. Whatever it takes to get ahead. You know, it's like it's like when G the GOP members are going after the gay community, and then it turns out that half of them are having sex with male prostitutes. Well, just like in the same vein, the DNC will go after anybody in the Me Too movement, any, everybody they can to smear them and tarnish them if it comes in handy. Brett Kavanaugh, of course, being the most prominent in recent memory. But they'll jump on that tarnishing train as long as it serves the political goals. And as soon as it doesn't, well, never mind. We should really look into, look into reason a little bit here. We should really slow things down a bit, don't you think? Ah, you know what else I think? I think it's time to tell you about our friends at Good Morning Liberty. Oh, yeah. Good Morning Liberty, guys. You can find them. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, just look for Good Morning Liberty, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcatcher, Pod Sniffer, whatever you might get your podcast from, you can find these guys and benefit every day of the week. Monday through Friday, Nate and Charlie will be there for you. These compassionate libertarians, not, mind you, social Democrat libertarians or socialist libertarians, as I was uh, slandering earlier and rightly so. But no, Nate and Charlie, they are really soundly based libertarians. They are supporters of our show, for which we offer them much, much thanks. And uh, also John Odermatt and I have been on the show. Mark's been on their show as well. And I'm definitely going to have them on. Uh, actually, I need to have them on soon because of the unspoken non-theme of this episode to talk about healthcare because these guys both have a background in healthcare. They understand the ins and outs, and that's really what I want to get into with them. So check them out. Go to lol.gmlpodcast.com, or as I said, just find them anywhere by searching your apps. You're going to love this show. I love these guys. So will you. All right. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land 171. By the way... Next week's episode, 
Shocking guest, guys. You're not going to believe it, but yes, your old buddy Brian here pulled in. As you know, I, well, you, well, let me let, let me preface this. You heard me talking about the Tiger Kings, right? And the uh, the the Tiger Kings of Liberty T-shirt that we have now. Well, in a perfect tie-in, I'm actually going to be having on a man that you may remember distinctly if you were a libertarian and you have been uh, paying attention to Tiger King because there was a guy there who ran the campaign for Joe Exotic. Or Joe Exotic ran as a libertarian candidate, right? The man who ran his campaign, Joshua Dial, will be on this show doing an interview next week. Yes, I have confirmed it this week, so he will be on, and uh, it's going to be an interesting show because I want to find out where he is now with his beliefs. I think he may have strayed somewhat, but I want to get into that a little bit. I want to hear about him working with Joe Exotic. I want to hear about the libertarian leanings of uh, of Joe, and of course, we'll just talk about some of the other current events and news that's going on in the cycle today. So make sure you do not miss that because it's going to be a hell of a thing. Okay, let's get back into this week's show. All right. Yes. So I'm back. I have just finished up doing the live live feed with Jason Stapleton with uh, Matthew Erickson, a.k.a. Matt Rothbard from the Wealth, Power and Influence podcast. And of course, Mark and Odie joined me as well. Uh, and also Mark Whitney came on, which was fun. So that was fun. I'm now drunker, <laughs> uh, but I am back here to finish this podcast up. So we talked about Alyssa Milano. We talked about Joe Biden. We knew the accusations there. Now, what's interesting is that Joe Rogan, who has gotten shit, he got shit for supporting Bernie Sanders, right? Uh, and, and I don't know why. I mean, libertarians, look, we respect Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan has brought on Dave Smith before. I think he had on, God, he had someone else on that was fairly libertarian as well. But he's at least willing to talk to people about the ideas. He has an open mind, even if he does definitely trend more towards the socialism and leftism side of things. But still, he'll talk to you respectfully, mind you, talk to you and he has an open mind. Great. Joe Rogan supported Joe Biden, right? Came out and supported him. And then, of course, everybody that was an anti-Bernie Sanders guy said that Bernie Sanders supporters were toxic, which, granted, I'm sure some of them are. I'm sure some of our supporters are toxic. You know, it's like <laughs> no matter what group you're talking about, there's going to be some nutballs in it. That much we all know. But now Joe Rogan's getting an extra layer of shit because he now has said, I'd rather vote for Trump than Joe Biden. And he was doing, he was talking to uh, Eric Weinstein, who was, of course, uh, I hope I'm right here. Was Eric Weinstein the mathematician? Joe? I don't know. One of, one of the Weinstein brothers had gotten boosted from, I think, uh, God, it was like one of those really left liberal universities for daring to question a day in which white people were supposed to stay inside or something ridiculous. I think Eric Weinstein's the mathematician side. Anyway, he was on Joe Rogan's show. And Joe Rogan said, the Democratic Party has made us all morons with this Joe Biden thing. I would rather vote for Trump than him. I don't think he can handle anything. Now, that's a pretty logical statement. That's simply stating what we can all see and is easily observed by any Joe Biden interaction, by any Joe Biden debate performance, by any Joe Biden media performance. I mean, Christ, wasn't he was talking about the coronavirus and just forgot what he was saying halfway through the sentence. I mean, the man clearly is not all there. And the fact that the Democratic Party is pushing him forward and support him, I mean, I can't believe people are supporting him. It just shows you how weak of a field the Democrats keep putting forth, if we're being perfectly honest. I mean, Christ, Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. 
a joke of a man, a reality star, a billionaire who started his life as a millionaire, who's lost as much money as he's made, but is great at personal branding and is a funny guy, a guy that people supported because he didn't uh, back down from the establishment, a guy who's told it like it is, according to a lot of people that support him. And also promised us, of course, things like non-intervention, which he has not lived up to, uh, ending regulations, which he's quasi lived up to. But again, the Democrats are content to trot out and support en masse by virtue of their voting processes, a candidate that is obviously inferior. Now, the reason they're doing this is because Bernie Sanders is a fucking socialist. And I'm sorry, people still don't want outright socialism. And I think after this whole unnamed thing, which I'm not talking about in this episode is over, Socialism is not going to be the answer. I know Dave Smith is worried about it uh, coming to fruition. I know he's worried about fascism. I think this is going to turn people the opposite direction. Just like the entire movement, the over-politicization, the over-emphasis uh, on race relations from the left, this big push into socialism and socialized medicine and socialized everything and socialized education has had the opposite effect. It's getting rejected. Elizabeth Warren, gone. Bernie Sanders, effectively gone. All of the other left-leaning candidates, effectively gone. AOC, marginalized, may not even actually get reelected. It actually might lose her district because the DNC is pushing her out, which is <laughs> kind of funny. So you've got this absolute troglodyte candidate that only has as his backdrop the fact that he was a vice president to Obama, who people for some reason still hold as some sort of icon, despite the fact that he was one of the worst presidents in American history. And at the same time, you've got Biden out here forgetting what he's talking about, having his eyeball explode with blood during debates, getting accused of sexual assault, which clearly the left doesn't care about if it's their guy. And now he's, you know, he tried to have this live feed to interact with the youngins because, you know, most of his base is older and still the people that come out to vote more often. Although I have a, a conspiracy theory that, this whole uh, what's going on right now might actually take out the most prominent voters and give younger people much more of a voice in elections because they're actually going to go out. But you have a complete incompetent out there. And for Joe Rogan to come out and say that he'd support Trump over somebody that he clearly views as mentally incompetent should not be something that should draw scorn. If anything, it should draw self-realization, which we thought would come for the Democratic Party after Donald Trump beat them. It hasn't. If anything, they doubled down with the candidates that got put forth. They don't live in reality looking at the plain facts that are laid bare. So now, of course, Joe Rogan's being torn asunder by everybody on the left saying that he's a traitor, that he's an idiot, that he's an asshole, that he's a racist. And of course, all these things that Joe Rogan has said before about uh, things like transgender athletes, which are purely based on one thing, the differences, the biological, muscular structural, skeletal differences between men and women when it comes to sports and saying that this is a man who's clearly a Trump supporter, that he's alt-right, that he's a bigot, that he's a racist, that he's all these other things. All of this has made me, in regards to Joe Rogan, is much more of a fan, if I'm being honest. It's made me respect him, even though I don't necessarily support the leftism that he has espoused earlier, I would never vote for Donald Trump in general, but it shows he's an independent thinker and it shows he doesn't give a shit what people have to say. Now, granted, he's also built an empire based upon this huge podcast of listenership that he doesn't have to worry about people. But isn't that where we all want to be? 
I mean, we were just on with Jason Stapleton. I said this live feed we did. Jason also has built his own empire. He's done it by virtue of his trading. He's heard of these other programs he's done for telling people how to be entrepreneurs, uh, how to be influencers. He's making his millions. I know a lot of people are very jealous of Jason Stapleton in the libertarian world. Don't think we don't know why people attack him uh, more predominantly than a lot of other libertarians. The man's done it. He doesn't have to kowtow to anybody. That's where we all want to be. And Joe Rogan is in that spot. And I appreciate him not having the fear of retribution to say, I would vote for Donald Trump over Joe Biden because Joe Biden is not mentally capable. Now, that's not to say that Donald Trump is the man who should be entrusted with everything that, I, that I'd love him to take care of everything in the world. I don't think anybody's saying that. But if you have to put one and two together and you have to vote for one of them, clearly that would be Trump. And I don't think there's a question looking at what's become of Joe Biden recently. You know, I, I, God, I started talking about Joe Biden's, uh, he was trying to do a live feed and it was such a catastrophe. He abandoned it. Now he has a podcast, which is boring as shit. Mark and I were going to do a recap show because he thought it'd be hilarious. It's not fun. It's so over-edited, so overproduced because they know that Joe Biden can't be trusted to say anything that it's not fun to even talk about. It's the most boring podcast in the world. I can't see a single person downloading it especially not now when people have other things to do, more important things to do. So anyway, that's the Joe Rogan, Joe Biden uh, conundrum. Next thing, moving on to, and we'll finish up the show on this, is uh, that Donald Trump, you know, he's got a lot of other things he could be t- uh, focusing his time on. He has a lot of other things that he could be doing, maybe making it a priority to end the wars, Maybe make it a priority to uh, take care of uh, more of Americans, to give us more of our freedoms back, to end the FDA, to just get rid of the uh, fucking CDC. Any of these organizations that are making life misery for us, maybe the end the FBI, considering the fact that they have all these FISA violations and the newest uh, investigations they did found something like 26 errors per application. And they did like 1,500 of them last year alone. Just insane. But Donald Trump's decided that instead of focusing on any of these other things, he is going to take his focus and put it towards the moon. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. The moon. (laughs) He just actually, let me play this clip. Every time I talk about the moon, I can't help thinking about Aqua Teen Hunger Force, one of my favorite cartoons from adult swim back in the day and the moon and nights let's say let's hear us here let's introduce the moon and nights so we know what we're getting into with the uh the moon treaty that donald trump wants to get into and moon mining rights take it away moon and nights Hello, Carl. I am Ignignoct, and this is Ur. I am Ur. We are Moonanites from the inner core of the moon. You said it right. Our race is hundreds of years beyond yours. Man, do you hear what he's saying? Some would say that the Earth is our moon. We are the moon. But that would belittle the name of our moon, which is the moon. Point is, we're at the center, not you. No, the real point is, I don't give a damn. Is your ego satisfied? Damn no. No. Look, room for rent. Yes, room for rent. I think that's exactly how the conversation would actually go. Should we get to the moon and find out that there are moon people? <laughs> and, they, and they don't want to give up their mining rights. <laughs> Donald Trump would be like Carl there. Yeah, I don't give a damn. But no, seriously, let's just focus on real quick for the next five minutes. 
what Donald Trump's proposing. So number one, there was a thing called the Moon Treaty, right? When everybody was racing to get to the moon, the Moon Treaty was a thing. And it was supposed to be an agreement between all of the peoples and all of the races, at least the, well, at least the ones that can make it to the moon at the time, on how moon colonization and moon mining would be handled. Now, at the time, that got rejected. I guess people were like, this is kind of stupid. Why are we bothering? And as a libertarian, of course, I think if you get there first, you can't conquer the whole moon, but you certainly have the ability to mine something, to, uh, to farm that land, to develop it. And whatever you can develop in your region, well, shit. You've earned it. You've put the work in. You've put the uh, the time and the labor in. You can work and claim that land within reason, <laughs> within what you could defend, I guess. But also just what you've it really, it goes back to the old, the classic concept of libertarianism, which is, of course, what you can produce on, what you can show your effective labor on to provide value. That's what you can claim. So let's look towards the new Executive order, God loves executive orders. The new executive order that Trump has issued on moon mining and asteroid rights. Now, let me go to an article from space.com. Now, apparently there is a 1967 <laughs> outer space treaty allowing use of resources like water and, uh, and miller, minerals, on, minerals on the moon. <laughs> minerals on the moon. Sorry, guys. Like I said, I had just come off of a happy hour uh, where I was drinking bourbon. But using water and minerals on the moon to establish space colonies or to have uh, space stations where you can stop, fuel up, move along, etc. So the new executive order makes this even more official, stressing the United States does not view space as a, quote, global commons and sees a clear path to off-Earth mining uh, without any need for further international treaty-level arguments. Now, that I would agree with in that uh, while... I mean, I would view it as a global common in that anybody that can get there can exploit it. I don't think we need permission from any other state or country. Frankly, I don't think I as a person need any permission. Now, that's where the government gets involved, though, because I remember I was reading an article several years ago about the exploitation of Mars or getting to Mars and the United States thinking that somehow it had jurisdiction over what you do, what uh, path you take to Mars and what you should be able to get on that planet, which is, of course, fucking bullshit. In what unbelievably arrogant sense could any nation presume to limit access or limit rights to minerals or any other exploitable thing on another planet? And on that same note, not only limit, but grant access. You cannot tell me what I am denied access to when we're talking about outer space or other planets. You don't govern that. I mean, I object to even the concept of airspace being governed. Anyway, the executive order <laughs> called Encouraging International Support for the Recovery and Use of Space Resources was in the works for about a year, and it clarifies a desire from the United States uh, in its position as it negotiates with international partners to advance NASA's Artemis program for crewed lunar exploration. Now, I'm trying to find some specifics here as far as how they... Now, there's no specifics in this that I can read as far as this article goes um, to dictate exactly how the resources will be divvied up. If that's if the U.S. granting exclusive rights to certain companies or limiting those rights to certain companies, what that would mean if another nation got to the moon. I mean, Christ, we have a space force right now, right? <laughs> so I guess the space force was created. I mean, this all the dominoes are kind of falling into place here, not only to defend us from 
attacks from outer space from other nations, you know, things like developing a satellite that could go up and drop uh, uh, tungsten rods on people, which is like the equivalent to a nuclear blast. But also, I guess the Space Force is going to go up, defend the mining colonies from other uh, aggressive nations. But the question is, do you still have allegiance to a nation once you go into outer space? We're earthbound people. The United States is an earthbound nation. Once those people leave there, do they have any allegiance to anything? Does any other country have to respect that? I mean, Christ, once you leave these, these confines of the earth, are you limited by treaties and agreements and, uh, and global commons, whatever they might be, on this planet? I would say, fuck no. Say, like go out and explore. So I'm very curious to see what the actual uh, language within this type of thing would be. What the United States presumes to tell the world or individuals about mining rights, about what those rights might entail, about and again, what what sense does it make to issue this kind of document before we're even there? How about you get there first? How about you find minerals? How about you find water? How about you start to mine them? How about you show the process? How about you work the land? Then you can make a claim on it, and then maybe you can start to write your own little rules about how you want to dictate it. But even so. Your little rules would only apply to your little plot of moonland. You can negotiate with the Moonanites one-on-one. Every other country doesn't have to abide by your laws or your rules unless they're on your private property, which you have not just gotten there and claimed because you got there first or you think you deserve it, but that you've actually provided and proved that you've done something with. Your labor has provided something. You've worked that land. You've done something with it to provide value or take something back that is worth value. It's going to be an interesting next 20 years, people. Okay, that's going to wrap it up uh, for this show, guys. Don't forget, listen to, uh, yeah, well, listen to Wealth, Power, and Influence, buddy Jason Stapleton over there. Uh, Matthew Rothbard, his uh, co-host, was just on the podcast. I think that was probably the episode that's aired right before this one. A little bonus content for you guys talking about coronavirus stuff. There you go. I mentioned it at the end, but I think I did a pretty good job avoiding the topic today. Uh, but yeah, so check out Mark Claire on Mondays and also in between. We're doing so much more bonus content right now for you guys in the public and our Patreon feed. Uh, I'm here every Wednesday. And of course, John Odermatt on Felony Fridays. I think he's going to have a very interesting show coming up this Friday. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but it's going to be really, really interesting. Considering I've gotten, uh, I've got the libertarian or former libertarian. We'll, we're going to see when we talk to him from Tiger King's coming on Wednesday of next week, and uh, and John's got a very special guest this coming Friday. Hell of a lineup, guys, on the best libertarian variety show podcast on the internet. Okay, let's wrap it up so I can keep drinking and not have to worry about slurring too much. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.